KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Welcome to the Parker Edison Project, where we look at tenets of culture and what really makes America great. There's such a legacy of culture and community from hip-hop to jazz to blues to R&B to soul music in San Diego that it's like a chosen few know. And that goes back to a greater issue that I have is that we don't tell our story. Southeast doesn't write his story. In this episode, we look at neighborhoods and how they shape us. In one block in San Diego, where a movement that began in the early 90s still influences artists and educators to this day. I'm gonna be straight up honest. The improv, there's nothing like it. It was our Harlem Renaissance. Located on Imperial Ave, this particular block is surrounded by eateries, churches, and nightclubs. We call it the Southeast. That venue was in the heart of gang territory, and we didn't have any gang violence at the venue. Ooh. We look at how the neighborhood changed the culture, but also fast forward 20 years and see how the neighborhood itself has changed to serve the community. I think it's really important when we do the work um, in communities that we actually live in, those communities that we're a part of. Southeast has kind of been my adopted community and place where I've you know raised both of my sons and I've really put down roots and really loved this place because of the culture, because of the, the love, because of the diversity. It's just an amazing place to be. That's next on the Parker Edison Project. Long time, no see. Look at my enemies after me. We run, we hide. Looking for the sun, just watch us ride. Stay tuned, Stay tuned for more of the, of the PE Project. project. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. You are now listening to the Parker Addison Project. I vividly remember sneaking out of my mom's house and dodging trolley cops on the orange line. It was hectic, but the improv was the place to be. It was small like an apartment, but it got live like the Apollo in Harlem. To start, I caught up with three thinkers that were there from the beginning. First up, Kevin Green musician, teacher, and the original band leader of the improv. I'd start by asking you, what was the improv? The improv was a place for people to be able to express themselves, primarily through the medium of, of hip hop. Uh, but you could be a comedian, you could sing, you could go up there and speak your mind. And it was a place where people would come and sit and those people would sign a list and they would come to a stage. And then once you were on that stage, you had the option of either doing something a cappella. If you had like a little cassette tape of a track, you could play that. You could have the DJ drop something. And my role as the, the drummer, you can say, I want to rock with Kevin Green. And I was there and I would play beats for whoever wanted to do what they wanted to do. In regards to you playing at the improv, you had a band before the improv? The musicians I was working with, I came from the high school, San Diego School for the Creative Performing Arts in which I went to in the 12th grade. 
There I met a flute player named Lennon Honor and a bass player named Kevin Mingus, uh, grandson of the great Charles Mingus. And we were just playing music together, regardless of what you want to call it. We were doing uh, free improvisation. We were starting to play some charts. During a particular time, we wound up playing at the improv because the MC Benny Heron, Eclipse Heru, from Masters in the Universe, was friends with Lennon's sister. And so that's how that connection was made. Okay, wait. When I was in the seventh grade, I had a crush on this girl. So I finally gussied up the gumption to let her know. And right when I was face to face about to tell her, I sneezed <laughs> in her face. And everyone in the class started laughing because they thought it was funny, but she was mad as <laughs> and had big brothers and cousins in school. She was none too pleased and her brothers were even less. I was skulking off campus trying to walk home without getting mobbed by her four brothers and the Fonz showed up. Not the real Arthur Fonzarelli, but the equivalent. Benny B. Dove Heron was somewhat of a superhero. That day, he popped up out of nowhere, walked me the two miles from Bell Junior High to Meadowbrook Apartments, and that's the Benny that Kevin Green is talking about right now. These guys were celebrities on my block. For the record, sir, who are you? I am Benny Heron, also known as Eclipse Heru. If you even, if you're a little older, also known as Black Dove, B. Dove, from Masters of the Universe, formerly known as No Soul, formerly known as House Clan. <laughs> yeah, so MC, poet, teacher, trying to do my thing, that's it. Who who are some of the people that were there? You know, we had dancers come through. Um, there were uh, artists that would show art, bands, you know, but I would say the, the, the main sort of uh, night, you know, event, sort of oriented performances were MCs. And it was really just a, a safe place for, um, in jazz, they use this term shedding. It sort of comes from, you know, the musicians being back in the shed away from everybody where they won't be heard practicing. So it was a place where people could just come and shed and just, you know, sharpen their skills and sharpen their craft or even start their craft. To paint a fuller picture, I called up a co-creator of the underground improv that was there from the beginning. And just so I got it, um, who are you, sir? Uh, Jason, also known as Millennium of the Masters of the Universe. Do you remember how it started? Well, um, generally how it started. I remember we, at that time there was a venue here in Los Angeles called the Good Life Cafe. Shout outs to the Good Life Cafe. And then Good Life Cafe kind of died down and went and um then the next place in la was the project bloat and so or the afterlife and many of us were had either performed at that space or performed around that space and loved the vibe and we wanted to have something for ourselves and so that was kind of what one of the ways that we kind of started the discussion of that but um before that i myself and others we were going to this venue called the community actors theater it was literally down the street around the corner from my house quick note the community actors theater was just that a small venue where actors and stage hopefuls practice their craft the theater allotted one night a week for live hip-hop at that time my primary um mode of expression was poetry and so um, I would go 
to the open mic night at the community actors theater and perform my poetry. And it was, it wasn't, it was an interesting thing because it was like, there were some young people there, but it was mainly a lot of elders. And so I got a lot of artistic encouragement, inspiration there. And then many of us who wanted the venue, the, the discussion kind of came up in terms of places and the community actors theater was one of the places that was, you know, essentially on the list. We wanted a night where we could do our thing, you know, so that, that's kind of uh, one of the ways that it was started. But I remember names like Taj was there, Orko was there, um, Black Santa, John was there. Who who was Black Santa and what part was he playing? Uh, John was kind of, well, <clears throat> he was from the neighborhood. You, if you looked at, at, uh, at John, you would be like, oh, man, this dude is banged out. You know what I'm saying? Like, for, you know, because we lived in a blood neighborhood, Skyline Pyru. And even though we weren't in that gang, we were everybody, every one of us that lived in that community, we were affiliated, you know? Not like we're out there gangbanging, but our our homies on the block. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was like that. And then the other thing about it, you know, is they looked out for us. I'm certain that the brother, you know, that Black Santa was affiliated and he also kind of gave he was he he was planning. He was a hustler, and he was also uh, provided us with a level of security, authenticity, and um, credibility within the community. That that play that venue was in the heart of gang territory, and we didn't have any gang violence at the venue. Ooh. When was the improv? Uh, years of the improv. Shoot, man, the late nineties. Mid to the eight, like I remember '95, around those years, middle mid '90s. It's important that you understand. In '90s, rap wasn't looked at the way it is today. Suburban jerks were still saying ignorant stuff like "You can't spill crap without rap." Not just soccer moms, radio DJs, club promoters. So it was a really big deal when someone in the city started something in the neighborhood. What brought you there? Benny Harren. Man, it was a it was a family grown thing, and what I mean by family, you know, the 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 inception of it, you know, really came out of Orco Orco's ideas and and ideas around wanting to create a space for creating our sort of jazz scene for the hip hop culture. You know what I mean? And having a place where we could go and show and prove and and sharpen our skills. And not only that, but it would it, it would be in the community, you know, because I don't know if you, you you're definitely aware, but the improv was on Imperial Avenue. And if you know anything about San Diego, that is a major thoroughfare through Southeast. You know what I mean? So and not not to say that it's anything wrong with going outside of the community, but that's often what we had to do to go and perform and to go and be a part of something like, you know, the arts and, you know, with hip hop. We always had to go downtown or it always included leaving our neighborhood. So, you know, I think Orko and Taj and Black Santa, some of the, the, the founding sort of minds behind it were really conscious and intentional about making sure that it was it's, it, it was in Southeast and not mm. something out outside of Southeast so on Imperial at the Community Actors Theater. Which is. And I never thought about that, but that's crazy because it did. It harnessed this 
talent and energy that wouldn't go to, to these other spaces. Right, right, right. That's crazy. What was the scene like? Kevin Green. It was seen, there is an article about it in the, the night and day section of the Union Tribune. I can't remember which one. It's in their archives. I got it somewhere. But at that particular time, Saks Nightclub down the street was happening. I think that's gone now. I think they built some apartments there. So that was happening. They were having community events. Uh, I remember the, I can't remember his last name, but Tayati that used to work for San Diego Radio. He used to throw like jazz festivals and street fairs over there. So all that kind of stuff was happening. There was that blues place on the other side of the railroad tracks. I can't remember the name of it, but I know that was happening. They put it in the newspaper and the reporter came to the improv. Mm. They came to the improv because I remember one of the reasons because they put my name in that paper. And I was really happy about that. Like, Whoa, they put my name in the paper. <laughs> what ties this story together is an eclectic West Coast underground icon, a literal legend. Orko Elohim. Who who is Orko and what contribution did he make? Benny Harren. Man, I, I you know, to my knowledge and you know, to whomever else provides some feedback, but to my knowledge and my understanding, when it comes to the improv, I, I, I see it as something that starts and ends with Orko. Jawson. You know, Orko has always been a very um I always looked at Orko and a lot of times with awe because to be, you know, to be his age, to be so young at that time. And Orko would be like, he would, he would, he, um, he would always uh, manifest the things that he said he was going to do. Literally, he'd be like, yo, we need a venue. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, we'd be looking for a venue. And but this cat's living at his mom's house, running a record label that he started out of his mom's house. So he was always he's always been like that. That's one thing I really admired about Orko. Benny Harren. When it comes to creating that 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 space and that that energy that people continue to carry to this day in San Diego. And without Orko, there would have been no improv. I, I think he named it. There's a repeating theme in this episode of creative energy continuously reinventing itself. Is it possible that the land retains our energy? I mean, I've heard stories of prisons being stained by unsettled souls, and maybe the inverse occurs, like... Positive energy activates constant elevation. Dude, <laughs> you know what's so crazy is my spiritual temple is the place that I do major you know, my spiritual work. Um, and I I do sermons, Ifa sermons, and I tape my stuff out of there, is at the venue that is Project Glowed. Get the f out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tape, I, I do. The only reason I'm not doing it now is because of the COVID pandemic, but I was, I've been doing it out of uh, Chaos Networks for the past three years. All right, so Jason performed at Project Blowed, was one of the 
core members of the underground improv in San Diego. And now, like 20 years later, he teaches at a temple in the place where Project Blowed started. Man, that's bonkers. Like, what's the what's the plural of coincidence? Coincidences? Coincidences? I don't know. I don't have time to Google it. So give me your answer on Twitter at P-R-K-R-E-D-I-S-O-N. I'll mail the best answer a t-shirt. And don't go anywhere. In my second segment, we're going to fast forward 10 years after the improv to see what's so interesting about that block these days. It's more coincidences. Stay tuned for more of the P.E. Project. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. I love you. I think I always will. Even now, I'm reeling from the effect that you have on the rest of my life. I'm different now. As badly as I want to feel the heat between us, I know exactly how this is going to end. Now streaming at PlatformCollection.com is the new film short, Run Rick, a who's who of San Diego talent. Brought to you by the good people at Platform Collection. You are now listening to the Parker Addison Project. Next up, We'll see what's happening on the 6400 block of Imperial these days. Located at 6403, Pillars of the Community brings together national activists, educators, and artists. Today, we talk to Khaled Alexander, a man who's in the middle of it all. What's up, what's up? Hey. How you doing, man? Excellent, man. Excellent. I'm going to jump right in and then, uh, I'll, you know, ask you some personal questions on the side. What's, what's the full name of Pillars? Pillars of the Community. Yeah. Bless. Where are you located? So we're uh, on Imperial Avenue in Southeast San Diego, not too far from the Encanto trolley station. Could Pillars be anywhere else? Man, you know what? That's a good question. So we've been in a number of different spaces, but all of them have been on Imperial Avenue. And uh, Imperial Avenue actually has kind of a historic significance um, where there's been, it's kind of been a, a black hub, both of the arts and business and other things historically. Um, it's kind of in the center of Southeast San Diego, and it transitions through a number of different neighborhoods. But Imperial Avenue is very central to kind of everything that we've done. And so although we've been in maybe three or four spaces, all of those spaces have been on Imperial Avenue. Um, and in fact, that's where we looked when, you know, when we were first starting, we were very kind of uh, intentional and uh, deliberate in finding a space on Imperial Avenue. So that's where we started and that's where we are and that's where we hope to remain. What is one priority that you have in this new year that you guys are looking to tackle? Yeah, so the number one thing is we want to be able to address kind of harassment by the police. So, you know, a lot of attention has been put around kind of police violence, police harassment, racial profiling. 
um, after the death of, of, of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor. And so I think what we see happening is young African-Americans, black people uh, in this country in particular, are tired of being bullied by the police. The fact that in Southeast San Diego, you can be pulled over and asked if you're a gang member, asked if you have any tattoos, asked if anything, they might not kill you. They might not beat you up. And if they don't kill you and don't beat you up, that's considered a good interaction. Pulling people over like this in La Jolla, they would be chaos. They would never stand it. Why? Because you're taking away for time that they could be spending with their family. You're hassling them. You're treating them uh, as if they don't have a right to drive someplace. Um, but in Southeast San Diego, it's normalized. So you go to any barbershop and you ask, you get pulled over by the police, that they're going to look at you like you're crazy because it's normalized. So that we want to address the normalization of police harassment uh, that happened in our community. So that's the main focus that we tr we're trying to knock out uh, this year. For listeners who are outside of San Diego, what's the major difference between Southeast and La Jolla? Well, first, let me say that it's not even people outside of San Diego, because most people in La Jolla and other parts of San Diego don't even know what Southeast San Diego is because they don't come and visit here. Right. And so you have two San Diegos. You have the San Diego uh, with the beach and SeaWorld and, and, and the San Diego Zoo. And then you have the other San Diego that tourists don't know about. So people from outside of San Diego don't know about, but also people who live in San Diego don't know about and don't care to know about. You know, La Jolla is a more affluent, it's just kind of the extreme difference between Southeast San Diego. It's more, one of the most affluent neighborhoods in San Diego and Southeast San Diego for the most part is one of the poorer areas of San Diego. And in San Diego, as throughout the rest of the country is, there's a direct correlation between poverty, class and race. Uh, so La Jolla tends to be whiter and richer and Southeast San Diego tends to be blacker and poorer. So in La Jolla, people look at police as if there's a problem, those are the people you call to help out. In Southeast San Diego, the police are there whether you call them or not. That is the biggest uh, difference between kind of La Jolla and Southeast San Diego, in particular when dealing with police presence and community interactions. Was there an incident that acted as a catalyst that caused you to do pillars? Two things happened. One is I ended up moving to Southeast San Diego off of Ocean View Boulevard. And in a period of two weeks, I was pulled over three times by the police. The other thing is, as I was teaching at San Diego City College, I had a student of mine uh, who was getting all A's, really brilliant, formerly incarcerated, getting all A's, writing brilliant essays, doing really well in his other classes. Two weeks before graduation, two weeks before his finals, he ended up being arrested for a parole violation. Because he was a documented gang member and his parole officer came to do a visit, he found a blue shirt on the ground inside of his closet. And because he had a blue shirt on the ground inside of the closet, he was via, that was a violation of his parole. As a result, he was taken out of school. He was taken away from his job. He was taken away from his family and reincarcerated for the color of shirt that was sitting on the ground of his closet. Um, so those two examples made me realize that we really had an issue with how people are treated in, in, in the communities that we live in based off of their identity. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about community. Uh, it's knowing different people who grew up in different areas, who have different areas of focus uh, and whatnot. But because you have a shared culture, because you have a shared set of values, because 
you uh, care about the same areas, you create a community. And so that's uh, that's what we're all about, man. What part of town do you live in today? Yeah, so I'm in Encanto. I live two blocks away from uh, our office. I think it's really important when we do the work um, in communities that we actually live in those communities that we're a part of. Although I grew up in Linda Vista, Southeast has kind of been my adopted community and place where I've you know raised both of my sons um, and where I'm currently raising a, my third son. Um, and I've really put down roots and really loved this place because of the culture, because of the, the love, because of the... Uh, you know, the diversity, uh, it's just an amazing place to be. That was Khaled Alexander, president and founder of Pillars of the Community. They're always doing amazing things over there. music we're listening to is the 619 anthem unreleased heat from 1997 shout out to kevin green for digging deep in the archives for this one Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison, and the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com or on IG at the PE Project. This program has been made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. Kirk Conan is audio production manager. Kinsey Moore-Lynn is podcast coordinator. The amazing Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. Hey, I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Y'all stay safe out there. See you next episode. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.